first half. going on everybody welcome to the at the hive live podcast i'm chase i'm here with my co-host james and today we are going to run through a host of topics including the hornets recent game against the san antonio spurs on sunday the health and safety protocol difficulties they've been facing recently the start of the g league bubble hayward as an all-star and you know when when were we going to get to the point where we have to commit to whether or not the hornets are going to make a playoff push this season but, but first, James, how are you doing today? I'm having a very bad day. <laughs> this, is, this, is not, this is not a classic. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm having a terrible day. Oh, um, no, that's not good. No. So the, the day started with me. We've been having some issues with our boiler. So me, me and my girlfriend moved house in November, moved into a new house. And um, firstly, boiler person's going to ring 30 minutes before they arrive. So, you know, you can get prepped. Firstly, knock at the door, bump the hair. Great. Okay. They haven't called ahead at all. No call ahead. I'm in the middle of a work meeting. Right. Okay. Got to leave the work meeting. He then comes in, was found an issue, which we didn't even think existed, found an issue and was like, I don't know what to do with this. I need to go outside and speak to my boss. I'm like, okay. I had to jump back in a work call. So I text my girlfriend like half an hour later to be like, did, did he come back in? Like, what's the deal? He just left. So <laughs> he just, just abandoned the problem entirely. He, he, he just went, I'm going to go outside and speak to my boss. And he just left. And just, just, my girlfriend was like, he, he never came back in. And I was like, what? And now our heating doesn't work. And it did work before he came. So he made it worse and then decided to just leave without, without yeah. even saying anything. So we had an issue with our timer, right? The heating worked fine. Just the timer didn't work. So he found apparently an issue, then made the heating not work and then left and didn't solve anything. So, <laughs> and if you don't know about Manchester and the United Kingdom in February, it's cold. So it is, a, it is bleak times right now. No hot water, no central heating. And we just have this guy who randomly left. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is insane that he just, he broke it even further. And then he, why didn't he just call his boss when he went outside? <laughs> why didn't he do that <laughs> I don't, it's, it's like he saw me i was like i've got to go out for this meeting but any like when you come when you spoken to him let my girlfriend know and it's like he was just like well i'm, I'm not going to do that i'm just going to go then like if, <laughs> but i was literally in the middle of my work day trying to like jump back and forth between like sorting our boiler out anyway so we're yeah we're pretty screwed we're living in a very cold part of the country um luckily it's warmer today but don't know we, we called the company earlier they're going to look into it. But it's one of those, it's like, yeah, we'll get back to you. Yeah, when? So. Yeah, exactly. Well, ho hopefully that'll get straightened out for you. I, I, I didn't even, th I didn't think about this until now, but I mean, if my heat went off too, I'm, I'm in Maine. It's freezing here too. It's like 18 degrees today. This problem is not relatable to a lot of, a lot of our listeners, I would imagine in, uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, not, not very cold down there, which is, which, it's funny to think about that. We might be the only people that are Charlotte Hornets fans that are actually experiencing these problems, but very true. Very true. Yeah. But that's, that's enough of my uh, boiler, James's boiler saga for, for this episode. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get an update next week. Yeah, let's, let's get back on topic. Hopefully, I will have been able to have a shower by next week. So. <laughs> let's hope so. But uh, you, want, you want to just get in right into the Spurs game from last night? Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll touch on it. It was a, an interesting game to finish the weekend off with by the end of the game we're having eight healthy bodies including Jalen McDaniels who just flew in from the from the G League bubble um I mean the Hornets hung around probably longer than they really should have started the game really well and just kind of ran out of juice down the end what kind of any any kind of major takeaways from that game for you yeah I mean that that's basically how I felt too they you just it's not possible to, to win games against teams that are like as good as the Spurs are when you have basically like six healthy rotation players and three healthy start or two healthy starters. Uh, they, they did play very well. I, I was pretty impressed by the, just the overall effort that they gave in that game. Like they, they kind of lost, lost their juice around, at, down at the end, but they were, they were still trying. They weren't, you know, they didn't throw in the towel at any point. So that was good to see. They pretty much neutralized DeMar DeRozan up until like 
halfway through the second quarter or so when the Spurs had that massive point explosion and ended up with 47 in the second period. But other than, I mean, they, they did, they did some good things. It just, you know, that doesn't, it doesn't work out very often when you only have eight healthy players, no matter how many good things you do. Yeah. And I think their their tactic was make DeMar, make anyone but Demar beat them. And the Spurs did exactly that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that started you know, to happen. Every, every other guy got into the crease of the defense, the getting dribble penetration left, right, and center. I think, you know, we played a remarkably, like a lot of small lineups out there. And like, I know even when Devonta was out there, I know Gordon Hayward really makes his team a lot smaller because you're basically then going for having kind of both Terry and Dev- Terry and Devonte or Monk, you're having two of them on the floor with Lamelo. So we were just we were just very small. We actually did a pretty good job rebounding, but I just felt that they just kept slicing through the perimeter defense, and the the pick and roll defensive coverage didn't look great. You had guys getting to the rim, like just just getting straight to the rim of pick and roll, simple pick and roll actions. Um, we just struggled to protect the paint tonight, and you could tell they brought Biz in to try and give a little bit more rim protection and. I mean, I still don't. He doesn't I, really do that. It's it. He just doesn't. No, <laughs> it doesn't solve that problem as much as I, I would like for him to. He just doesn't. And Borrego like keeps going back to that. Even like all the advanced metrics of Biz on the floor. It's just the the team generally doesn't play well. There was like a stretch in the in the previous Minnesota game where like Borrego even set off the game. He thought Biz gave them good energy. Um, and this is always going to give you good energy, but like that doesn't always translate to good things on the court. And uh, at this point, I mean, I, I don't think we'd be seeing Biz at all. If PJ was healthy, I think you'd be seeing PJ at the five. Um, but even at this point, I'm probably edging towards, I'd rather just maybe see Nick Richards. Um, I mean, at the moment, we've only really seen him in garbage time. He's just been like a bull in a freaking China shop, just like coming in, fouling everyone, rebounding everything, trying to dunk everything. It's been all action. Uh, but I think at this point, I'd just like to see Nick Richards because I'm just not positive about Biz being out there at all. Yeah, no, I, I for a long time, I was on the, I guess, the side of James Borrego where you know, don't throw the second round rookie centers that are, you know, clearly developmental projects into the fire so early. But at this point, it's like Biz has been so like he just has not lived up to what they need him to be in that, you know, backup center, especially as a a rim protector role. And at least Nick is seven feet tall with a long wingspan. And like you said, plays with a ton of energy and is just always running around there like a bull in a china shop. Like, that that's something that they don't have right now. I mean, Biz, Biz is, you know, he does his, he does his, he makes his nice plays every, every once every game or so, but you know, at least with Nick, you're going to find out what you have in this guy that you traded away a future second round pick for. And if, I mean, if he's not good, that that's kind of okay. Like you can just move on to another second round pick that you've also chosen the same draft, but and if, if he is good, then you don't have to, you know, play biz anymore. You have a guy with actual size and rim protection ability to come off the bench. Yeah, I think I liked the biz signing when they signed him, but that was of the understanding that biz was never actually going to play. Like, yes. I, I love biz as like break glass in case of emergency. I do get last night was a case of emergency because they had eight guys, but like even then one of the, one of those eight guys didn't play. That was Nick Richards. Didn't even get off the bench once. So like, I still like Biz being on the team. I'm not someone's like, oh, we need to get rid of him. I think he brings a lot. Like you can see his mentorship around the mellow has been huge. And Borrego has talked about that. And a guy like that, you, you need those veteran mentors. And this roster isn't like littered with senior guys. Like you want Biz to be like your Udonis Haslam, right? You never, if, if you're playing him, there's a problem, but he brings a lot to your team and your program just through everything he does. He's, you know, vice president of the players union, you know, hugely respected by his, his fellow players. And that's what you want biz for. Um, yeah. You just don't want him to be playing major minutes. Um, and I feel bad for Nick Richards at the moment because he's now stuck in this middle ground where he's behind, he's like third, fourth center in the rotation behind biz PJ and Zella, but he's also can't be sent down to the G league because the Hornets have to have a minimum number of players on the roster and I, I do wonder, I mean, we're going to touch on the G League later, but I do wonder at some point, like halfway through the G League 
bubble if they maybe swap Carey and Richards halfway through. So they send uh, Richards down and bring Carey back, which I think could be an interesting way because right now Richards is getting the, the worst of both worlds. He's not playing in the G League. He's not playing in the NBA. He's just literally sitting on the bench each night, which can't be great for his development. Yeah, I've, I've always been of the proponent that like, especially in that rookie year like a guy just sitting and watching like that doesn't that doesn't benefit them really at all especially a guy like nick who's you know a pretty raw developing big man and big men take a long time to get used to the nba typically but you know after tonight's game or yet sorry after yesterday night's game on sunday against the spurs you know the hornets they they lost but it was still it was pretty clear that you know they're they're going to compete on a nightly basis no matter what and Currently sitting at sixth place in the standings, they are only they are thirteen and fifteen right now. They're only they only have three fewer wins than the second place Milwaukee Bucks. They're they're five and a half games out of first place, and Milwaukee is two two games out of first place. I know they're not going to ever be second. They're never going to be as good as the Bucks. That would just be unrealistic expectations to place on this team. But they are like they're frighteningly close <laughs> to, to being a you know a, a top. I guess top half of the East playoff team, but you know, is it, when do we think that it would be time for Mitch Kupchak to make the decision on whether or not they're going to make a move to, for, to bolster the roster for a playoff run or, you know, commit to, you know, this, I guess really only the second year of rebuilding and just run with what you have and let the season play out. However, it may. Yeah, I think it's uh, this season has got so many variables. Like you don't see any team, like very few teams are just like running away with it. Everyone's a lot closer, like the bottom of the league to the top of the league. It's, there's not as big a variance and gap like the normal normally is. Um, realistically, looking forward, I still think we'd be lucky to finish like eighth in the playoffs because I think Toronto, Miami, they're on the way back up. There's some other teams who've had COVID issues and challenges. Um, we've got injured players who are going to be coming back. To this point, Charlotte have been largely lucky. Like, yeah, we missed PJ for a bit. We missed Devontae for a bit. But we've been pretty lucky compared to a lot of the other teams. At what point do they make a move for the playoffs? I personally don't think they will make that sort of move. I, You know, everything that Kupchak has talked about in his mood availabilities is is building something for the long term here. I, I don't think they're going to suddenly trade away a bunch of picks for a short side move to try and win a playoff series this year. Now, I'm not saying they won't put picks and players on a table to make a move, but I don't think it will just be this year in mind. I think, you know, we would have already seen that. We were talking before this episode. They've still got that 15th roster spot open. You know, if they were really wanting to maximize this year, they could just, you know, take on a player from another team and give up a pick and they could just put someone in that spot. But they're not doing that. They haven't signed anyone to a 10-day contract or for the remainder of the season. They're keeping that open to be flexible because I still think they want to be able to take advantage of, of trade situations. They don't necessarily, the kind of goal of those trades would be to make this team better on the here and now. So I think everything has been very patient under Cupcheck. Like, over the last few years, the only trades he's really made are on draft night or a free agency sign-in trade. Like, we have not made any in-season trades. And this group is so young, uh, one of the youngest teams in the NBA. There, there's, like, not that many people who I think you can argue are playing badly right now. So I, I think they're just still going to wait and see how this develops because I still don't – I still think there's – things have been positive. There's been positive signs, but I still think there's a lot of question marks out there about different players. So I think they're, they're going to wait and see how it plays out personally. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I probably fall into that boat as well. I think the main reason that I, that I feel that way as well is because especially early in the season, like preseason press conferences and stuff like that, Borrego and Kupchak, I think they like deliberately went out of their way to like, not even really say the word playoffs or like, directly answer a question that involves the playoffs because I don't think that they really not that they don't care but like they don't expect they certainly don't expect it they don't like they're not gonna be upset if they if they end up you know 11th or lose the playing game and don't make the playoffs or something 
So that's that's kind of the reason why I think that they wouldn't make a trade to bolster, you know, just this year. But, you know, with the there are some players that are on the market, I think that could, you know, kind of, you know, do both of those things like, you know, have bolster your your future and your current roster. Like John Collins apparently is on the market. I, if the Hornets were going to go after him in free Love agency, yeah, same. I'm a huge John Collins guy. Love if the John. Hornets, if one of the best pick and roll bigs in the NBA, he'd be great with Lamelo. If they were going to go after him in free agency, yeah. I could see them approaching the Hawks and being like, "Let's, you know, we'll give you whatever pick compensation you would want. I don't know what that would be for John Collins, but we will do that, and then we'll attach you." you know, a, either a low salary player, or I think they could do it with nobody or with just outgoing picks because of the open roster spot and John Collins low rookie scale contract. But, you know, they're, they're, a, they could do that with like Mo, with Mo Bamba who isn't getting playing time. You know, there are a ton, there are a lot of, you know, options that could kind of, you know, cover both of those bases. But I, I agree with you that I don't really see them making an in-season trade. I think that, they'd rather see through like two full years of, of development of this young roster, especially like with a full season of LaMelo to not really see what you have and see what kind of players you're going to want to surround him with in the future. So I, I could see them making a pretty big move this off season. I would be, I'd say I'd be surprised if they did one in season, but I wouldn't be like overly shocked because if they, if they're, you know, still the six seed, like why not make a trade and go get, you know, like, I don't know, Nerlens Noel from the Knicks or, or, you know, Kem Birch from the Magic. Like, just another backup big man to help you and get a little bigger if you're actually going to play in the playoffs. Because right now, they wouldn't even be in the play-in. They'd, they'd be firmly in the playoffs and just be playing the the Brooklyn Nets in the first round. So, yeah, they would definitely just, need bigs for that or more reinforcements, I should say. Yeah, and that depends where they are. I think the deadline's for 15th of March, 25th of March. Uh, yeah, the 25th. The 25th of March trade yeah. deadline. So that's still like five weeks away. So if the Hornets are still in like sixth then, then, okay, maybe then you're thinking, oh, we could actually, you know, taking on the three seed could be a, a Boston or something, or, you know, who haven't been firing all cylinders this year then you can maybe start thinking about it. I just don't think we're going to be in that position. I, I think it's going to be like three games separating like 11th in the East up to like seventh. I think it's just going to be so close all year. And I, the last thing you want to do is, is be making some, some short, some short term move. But like, like you say, it's those sweet spot guys, like the ones who make you better now, the ones who will help you down the line. So John Collins, like you said, like fits need, young player, huge amount of potential. Mobamba, like you said, was, was a guy I actually wrote an article about for at the Hive uh, just the other week, one of my mock trade negotiations with Orlando Magic and kind of taking advantage really of their guard situation. I, I agreed that a trade with a Orlando Magic Daily that the founder over there, Philip Rusman Reich of Monk plus the Brooklyn 2021 second, which shall own for Mobamba, which for me, I was like, pull the trigger because Monk is going to be a restricted free agent. He's going to get more expensive. Um, we've already got a lot of small scoring guards in this team. He, like He's done well. I, I agree. He's done really well recently, but he doesn't necessarily fill a huge amount of need. And, and Bamba has got you know elite length, shot blocker, defensive rebounder. The, the only worry I have with, with some of these bigs is that we see the Charlotte team, everyone can like pass, dribble, shoot, apart from Biz. And Biz is the guy we've seen, is, as we've already just discussed, just completely undermines like everything this team does. This team doesn't defend as well when he's out there, doesn't score as well, anywhere near as well when he's out there because the Hornets have really built their philosophy of this ball movement system. And these traditional bigs who can protect the rim and get rebounds, which are probably some of the biggest needs for this team, you don't often find those guys who can also pass the ball and shoot as well because they are, when you start talking about your unicorns, and uh, like Mobamba, I don't know how he's going to fit into a system where he has to handle the ball and dribble handoffs and catch it on short rolls and, and make plays at the pick and roll. I, I don't know. Miles Turner, same thing. Like probably an all-defensive candidate this year, but he's not someone really that great with the balls in his hand. But it, it'll you've got to you know you've got to have some payoff somewhere if you want to get bigger. If you want to get that rim protection, you're probably going to have to sacrifice some size unless you're drafting Evan Mobley. Um, like 
that's what you're probably going to have to do. And you have to decide is, is that buy-off worth it? Uh, because we've seen with biz, you have that one kind of weak link in that roster and it just completely handicaps your, your whole unit. Um, but yeah, if you can find those sweet spot guys who can help the team now and have got potential long-term, I am all for making those moves. So say with the mock trade articles, I've tried to trade for Mobamba, uh, Miles Turner. I think it was Jalen McDaniels, a second rounder, and Miles Bridges for Miles Turner, which is probably like arguably not an awful deal on either side right now. My other trade for Jackson Hayes was awful. I don't want to discuss that one. Let's, <laughs> let's not go over that. Um, but, you know, th- those two, I think, are somewhat realistic. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Charlotte do, but... Even in Sham's reporting today, obviously reporting just before we went on air about the Raptors being in for Andre Drummond from the Cavs. Um, and he talked about some other teams looking for bigs in the trade market. He listed two or three of the teams, one being Dallas, one being Brooklyn. He didn't list the Charlotte Hornets. He didn't list the Hornets as one of those teams looking for uh, a big man upgrade in, in, in the trade market. And that's not to say it won't happen, but they're obviously not one of the most active teams at the minute or else Shams would have probably included that in his article. Yeah. And the other, you know, the Hornets don't, they, the other problem with that too, with them, you know, being active on the market is so many of their tradable assets are players that they like theoretically want to keep. Like yeah. they're not, they're not going to move Devonte right now. They're not going to, obviously they're not going to even consider moving Lamelo. They're not going to move PJ. They're probably not going to move miles. And while well, he's playing a really good season, Terry is, you know, scoring 28 points a game. They're probably not going to move him either. But do you, do you think they should be considering moving those guys? Because yes. it's, it's all good and well to be like, well, they're playing well, let's not trade them. But this is sometimes arguably like when you know the players, your program, you know them. Like, And if you know they're playing really well, but we don't think these guys can keep it up or whatever it is, like now is the time to trade them because their trade market won't ever get higher. Like start the year, Malik Monk, people are saying you couldn't trade Malik Monk. You'd have to give up a pick right now just for someone to like take him in as salary. Whereas now you're like, oh, we can get, you know, uh, in my trade, I got Mo Bamba, just attaching a second with Monk. So like sometimes with these kind of things, just because like PJ and Miles been playing well, I wouldn't take them off the table. It just means now you can get more for them. So um, at the same time, I, that's why we talk about that patient approach Cupcheck's taken. They've not really made many in-season trades. I think things are trending in a good direction. So I just think they're less likely to make those sort of moves because everyone has kind of shown flashes at some point. Um, but I do think now is the time is when they should be potentially considering it. Yeah. And I completely agree with that thought process. Like guys like, like Rozier and especially Monk who, you know, has the mo- probably the most tradable salary for what the type of player they'd be trying to bring in. Like they got, they have to be, you know, scouring the market for, for guys like that right now, because especially with their crowded guard rotation, you're not going to have, Lamelo, Devante, Malik, and Terry all on the Charlotte Hornets in like three years. Like that, that's just not, not plausible if you're going to give all of them the minutes that they, you know, presumably want and deserve. But, you know, if we're talking, you know, especially with, with Monk, because he's been playing really well lately in the absence of, of Devante. And when, when Terry was out for those couple of games too, and he has had a, is especially now with with the injury issues that they've had is going to have a really increased role and and with the the difficulties that they've been going through with the with the health and safety protocols over the last you know three or four days since the martin twins were ruled out with contact tracing and pj washington was also ruled out due to subsequent contact tracing you know the it, it took a long time for that to kind of hit the hornets this year the like coronavirus difficulties but it, it, it happened very quickly and very suddenly. And now they were down, you know, to nine healthy guys before the San Antonio game. But then it was eight. Once Devonte got hurt, we're, we're back to nine for Wednesday, presumably if the, if the Martin twins aren't, you know, healthy again for Chicago. And it doesn't seem like that's, you know, overly likely because they were immediately ruled out when they were the game or the day before the Spurs game. And since then, only more players have been ruled out. Jalen McDaniels got recalled from the G League bubble. They wouldn't have had him fly from Orlando to Charlotte if they thought he was only going to be here for one game, I would assume. So, you know, what 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 do you think that it, or I guess what are your general thoughts on how they've been dealing with this, how the NBA as a whole has been dealing with this and what you 
would imagine that they would do if, if they're down, you know, three guys for another game or two. Well, first of all, I think the NBA have done a really good job of not giving out any of the details about any of these COVID protocols in any of the teams. So no one can really criticize. Like, you can't be like, oh, why is this person banned these? No, no one knows what's happening. Like, you just find out it's coronavirus protocol and it's like a an iron curtain. You can't see anything behind it. So it's kind of hard to criticize the NBA if they're not doing enough, if they're being overly cautious, like, because no reporters are getting any information. Um, and I think that's a, a clever job by the NBA because no one's really talking about it because no one feels like they've got enough knowledge. I mean, for the Hornets specifically, it's it's interesting. Borrego, when questioned about it after the last couple of games, has kind of said, like, we'll have to wait and see if we get an update tomorrow. And if they, like, if, if we just say, like, Cody Martin and PJ have been tested positive for coronavirus like i wouldn't be expecting an update tomorrow because they're going to be out for whatever it is like it's either like 10 days i think it's 10 days and then they have to return two negative tests afterwards and just the way borrego is spoken obviously he's, he's speaking around the subject and not addressing it in any detail but it doesn't sound like at least for some of them that they're definitely going to be gone for like the next five to ten days or so and charlotte catch a bit of a break now with a three-day break before the next game and it was interesting how I think the Martin brothers were ruled out quite early in the day. And then PJ was ruled out like just before tip off. Um, and I wonder if PJ's out for contact tracing rather than actually testing positive because, you know, Martin twins are out. Okay. We knew that. And then I wonder if they're trying to do a bit of a runaround to be like, right. Who's been, you know, round to Cody Martin's house or whatever else could have, could have been happening. Um, I wonder if that was the case and they're wondering how long, PJ might have to be in the, the COVID protocol. Um, I, I think in the general, the league, it's had ups and downs. I mean, the Kevin Durant thing was just a joke. That was a really bad look yeah. for the league when he, he wasn't playing, then he was playing, so he came off the bench. Then he was told halfway through the game that he couldn't play anymore and he left. Like Things like that just create a mockery of the system. And what's interesting is that I think a lot of the, game, a lot of the tests they do before the game they don't come back sometimes until during the game. That's what happened with Durant. The, the positive test, no, the, the, whatever happened, the contact tracing test came back like during the game. And that's when he had to stop playing again. So um, look, I don't feel, I, I feel really sorry for anyone trying to run a sports league right now, trying to handle COVID protocols. Um, it is a thankless task. No one is going to say, congratulations, you're handling people getting COVID really well. It's, it's just not going to happen. You're only going to get criticism. Um, yeah, those are my thoughts. Yeah, that, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it that way before, but uh, with the, as a thankless task, but that, that's absolutely true. I mean, you're the, you're, the camp is basically people that don't think you should be playing and then people that think you should be playing and making sure the players don't ever test positive, which is not possible, so you're just in a losing battle from the start, but I do, I agree that they've, that they've handled it pretty well as a whole. And it, it, it surprises me that it took the Hornets this long before like something like this actually happened. I know Nick Richards missed a game for contact tracing, like what must've been in early January, I think at this point, but that wasn't, that was one game, but this is, you know, seems to be affected multiple people and may, perhaps stretch across multiple games we don't know because they have two days off until they play the bulls but i remember um when gordon hayward was on the Woj pod this last week he said that how the testing works is even on a day off you go to the arena in the morning and at night to test so it's like you get your test in the morning and then hopefully by the nighttime those results are back so you know whether or not to go in for your night test and then the night test comes back by the next morning so then you don't you know go into the facility positive unknowingly or something like that which like that that is like that's a lot for the players to have to do especially on a day off to like just running back and forth to the arena for, for testing which like not that it, it like automatically puts you at exposure but you would think that that kind of increases the risk of that they would test positive having to travel to and from the arena like so often to to get tested, but there's like, there's just no way around it. So it's, 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 it sucks that, that we have, that this has to be something that we have to deal with, but I mean, 
you know, this is not the way beyond our, our comprehension and our control. So as long as the Hornets can, you know, muster themselves through this stretch with, uh, you know, even, even with an open roster spot uh, for, for some reason, which I've never been a proponent of all season, this kind of situation is exactly why you should probably fill out your roster in a pandemic. But I mean, that's, that's just, that goes, that goes beyond, you know, what, what they can plan for. Cause you can't, you know, anticipate uh, this, things like this. This. Is, the worst, this is the worst case scenario where you're oh, missing yeah. an, a group of your players, but not enough that you get paused. Like the Wizards, they got paused. And I think a lot of teams who've been in this similar situation have looked at that. And I've heard coaches and players make comments being like, how come they got stopped? And again, because the NBA hasn't released any information, like detailed information, it's hard to criticize and say, oh, well, if Wizards got stopped, then Dallas should have got stopped or Miami should have, because we, we don't know the details behind it all. Because um, like I, w- I was thinking of the night, like you, you'd rather just get it really badly in your team, right? You'd rather just be paused for two weeks and, and come back and have everyone again. What Charlotte have got right now where you're missing three, four, five key people and what, what you hope now is that when the Martin brothers, PJ, come back, then not someone else is going. And, and it's just, you know, you haven't got your team together for a three, four week period, because that's what you've seen with a lot of those teams that have struggled early on uh, in Miami and Dallas. They've been, it's not just been like a week or two. It's just been lingering around the program for, for you know, sometimes a month or more. Um, so that, that's the worst case scenario. The, the thing that does irk me, it's the, the NBA keeps talking about how coaches need to wear masks and how players don't hug and handshake at the end of the game. Yet every time I watch a game, apart from, I must say, like James Borrego does probably as good a coach as I can, I can think in the whole NBA that I've seen. Like if you watch Doc Rivers, Doc Rivers does not stop having his mask around his chin. Like he just leaves it there. Yeah, a um, lot. Of, they all pull it down to yell and then put it back up, but they all, they're all yelling the whole game. So it's, I, don't, I don't see the purpose in that. And like the NBA keep releasing statements and keep apparently finding people, but they've got to do something more, suspend them for games. Like if you're just letting people get away with this, you're letting people, you know, you're not supposed to handshake at the end of the game. I saw like after the game last night against the Spurs, they're all handshaking, they're all hugging and everything. Like if if you're going to say you're not going to do that, you have to police it because all you become then is you're setting like rules and no one knows where the boundary is because it's like, well, they don't police them sometimes, but then they're going to choose to police some others. Um, I, you know, whether they should have those rules in place, you know, that's not for discussion. But if you are, you've got to police them or at least have them as a guideline, not a rule. Because at the minute, like, I feel sorry for some people getting fined um, when there's someone in the game happening at the same time, just down the road, doing the exact same thing and there's no repercussions. Yeah, it's the the gray area that they have for like with with the post game handshake specifically is like you're you're probably not going to stop that, but it's like if you're not going to stop it, why even make it rule? And then also, how do you even decide when to implement that or how to enforce that rule when it has been implemented? It's 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 a very difficult scenario that you know they're proud they're they're not going to the only way to solve it is for there to not be a pandemic anymore. So that that's really the the important thing. where there will never be a pandemic, hopefully, is inside the G League bubble in Orlando, Florida at the ESPN Wild World of Sports campus where the Greensboro Swarm are currently playing. They picked up their first win yesterday against the Long Island Nets. They dropped their first couple of games, but what what I guess for to start off, what is the one thing that you've been most surprised or impressed with that's come out of the Greensboro Swarm in the G League bubble so far? Well, firstly, I want to complain about how hard it is to watch the G League. Yes, it's too difficult. Yeah, I I, I don't know how much you've been able to watch. So in the UK, it's not part of League Pass. It's not shown on BT Sport ESPN over here. Um, You can't get ESPN Plus. Um, I have found ways to watch it. I have watched, questionable methods. <laughs> I watched. I watched a total. I was thinking about this before. Of the of the twelve quarters, I have watched seven. All right, over the games because I've had I've had some challenges. Let's just put it that way. 
Um, so I've watched seven games. So I'm not working as like a, a full sample size that I normally do. Um, but but I, I feel like I've managed to get a pretty good handle of of some thoughts, really. Um, the thing that's kind of, I mean, how, how much have you watched, Chase? I, I didn't watch the game against the Long Island Nets because that was at the same time as the Hornets, which was also at the same time as the Daytona 500 NASCAR race. So I had too many screens going. I, I couldn't watch the, the Greensboro Swarm that night, but I watched the, the first two games of the, of the season, the, the Vernon Carey explosion and then uh, Jalen McDaniel's solid game in the opener. Yeah, I think, I mean, the th- you mentioned to me that what's the big thing that stood out? For me, the thing that stood out, I'll do one positive, one negative. The positive is Vernon Carey scoring inside, which we'll, which we'll go into in more detail, I'm sure. The negative is Grant Rilla, um, who just doesn't look like Grant Rilla, like not the guy that we saw at Charleston. Um, th- those are the two things that jumped off the page to me. How about you? Uh, I, I mean, I completely agree with the Grant Riller thing. That's been by far the most, you know, upsetting or disappointing thing that's happened because I was a huge Grant Riller fan going into the draft. I had him, I think it was 19th on my big you were, board. You were on Grant Riller Island, right? Oh, there. absolutely. Yeah. I thought like I would have taken him like firmly in the top 20, 25 of that draft, but specifically because of his ex- like burst and explosion off the dribble and his finishing ability. But that just, it's not there. Like it, oh, it, 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 like it, he has had flashes of that burst that he had at Charleston where he would just grab, he would get the ball jab step and just explode by the guy that was in front of him. And he, he is what it was a true like layup artist in college. He could finish, you know, and either hand around over through behind his head with his eyes closed, anything like that. But it's, I don't know because I remember, uh, you had mentioned on the last podcast, I believe, that he, at the beginning in the draft, you, he had might have fallen because he had a knee injury, which he was out with for, I believe, a few games in the regular season and also in the preseason. And he missed time at the beginning of the G League bubble with the same thing. So it seems like that knee injury might actually be a problem, which would be super unfortunate because he relies on that like quick twitch athleticism to get by people like on a really consistent basis because he's not really a playmaker at all. So he's not going to provide a ton of value to your team unless he's getting by his man and breaking down the defense and stuff like that. And he hasn't done that a lot in the, in the three games that they've played so far. He's, he's done a pretty good job shooting. I, I don't have his three point percentage off the top of my head, but from the eye test, his shot looks good. Like it's, it's not, you know, nothing about his game has changed, uh, like structurally. It's just, he doesn't seem to be physically all the way there yet. Yeah. I think, um, have you managed to catch any of the highlights from yesterday? No, I, I haven't. I haven't looked at gun. So yes, yesterday he had the first time I've seen it. He had a drive blue by on the perimeter and he rose up and he dunked in the lane. And I was like, Oh, like that's the Grant Rilla. Like I know that's the burst and the speed. Um, I, I don't think he's healthy. Uh, he missed some days with training camp in, in the bubble um, with, with that knee issue. I think it's something that's lingering. I think he's trying to manage it. I think on top of that also, that they're basically trying to change Rilla to play point guard. Like you, you've seen him handling the ball at the start of the shot clock, bringing it up the floor a lot more. And I really think he's trying to actively think about getting his guys involved. He's trying to think about the system. He's trying to think about the reads he should make. Okay, so when I come off the screen, I know I've got this person there and that person there. And I think he's almost just overthinking the game to the point where he's taking away what his biggest strength was, which was driving to the rim and finishing. And you, I even saw it in the one preseason game I think he played. He came in for some minutes for the Hornets and like he came in and within 30 seconds, just like got to the rim and finished. Yes. Yeah. It was, yeah. I remember that it was against the Raptors. I was like, all right, this guy's already outplaying Malachi Flynn. Absolutely. And I was like, all right, this is, this is great. And then straight away, um, you know, he's just, he does not have that same burst. So I'm hoping it's health because if it's not health, then it might just be him overthinking the game. But either way, it's, it's not been the most uh, positive start for him. He, he had his best game yesterday for sure. Um, but I mean, I remember I was watching one of the games, it's like a three and one fast break. And like, we, he just turned the ball over 
And if you're an NBA point guard, you can't be turning the ball over on a three and one break. Like that is, you know, you have to be scoring 99 times out of a hundred. Um, so he just seems so passive to me. It's a, it's a real worry. And like, he is 24 years old. And I think I tweeted out last night, like I was watching, I was like, how old's Kobe Simmons? And I looked and Kobe Simmons is like nine months younger than Grant Rilla, which it feels like Kobe Simmons has been playing for the Swarm or the Hornets back and forth like last two years now. And for him to still be like nine months younger than Grant Rilla is is pretty interesting. Um, yeah, Grant Grant is an elder statesman. I think he missed his uh, or like redshirted his sophomore year in college because he got hurt. I think it was, a that knee was the injury. knee injury. That yeah. was the knee injury. Yeah, exactly. Say still isn't potentially right, which you know that's looking like it might be the case at the moment. Yeah, and I mean, if that was when he was a sophomore in college, that's you know that's not a great sign that it's still this much of a problem and, and inhibit inhibits him that much, but. You know, I, I still I believe in him. I believe in him. If he gets healthy, I think he's definitely going to be like a rotational NBA point guard and like a like a weird like Ish Smith type role as like as just a finishing playmaker that you know he needs the ball in his hands. But when he does have the ball in his hands, it's he's not going to do that many make many mistakes with it. But another guy that I've actually been or that I have been pleased with so far. He had a. I'm looking at it now, and he shot terribly yesterday. Is is Nate Darling? His three point percentage is only 25 percent right now, but that dude will let it fly. He is he has the exact level of confidence that you want from a guy that you're just going to tell to run off of screens all game and just catch the ball and fling it at the rim. Like he, his form looks good. He, he moves well off the ball. He's always, you know, trying to get himself open. He's not just standing there asking for the ball. And I think once that three-point percentage comes around, because, I mean, I don't know when Delaware played their last game, but prior to that, he hadn't played at all in the preseason. And he, he the Greensboro Swarm games are the first competitive basketball games he's played in probably almost a year. So I don't blame him for not shooting well consistently. But that game against Canton, he was on fire. He was one for seven against the Nets. So he's he's inconsistent, but I've I've definitely liked what I've seen out of him as just a pure shooter so far. Yeah, I didn't really see it with Nate Darling. Honestly, I really don't. Um, he's he's not shot the ball well, like you say in the bubble. He's obviously got this knee injury because he's been questionable for like two. He missed one game with a knee injury. He's been questionable for two of them, and he's played. Um, Look, I honestly just don't see it. I don't think he's got like the size of a Duncan Robinson where like you're just good on defense, like not good, but you're at least passable because you have a, a base level line of size. Um, the shooting percentage is like if Nate Darling is going to be an NBA player, he has to hit like 45% of his threes. And right now he's just not shown that. And some of his misses are pretty bad misses as well. He does take difficult shots. Um, but he also that like, he doesn't have any like secondary ball handling like a Kevin Herter like you'd like with that. He's not great on defense, although he did have that great rotation block, uh, which which was a which was a huge play. Um, I heard Jay Hernandez talking about him before the bubble and talking about him being like an elite elite shooter. And the thing that he needs to work on is is not just being a great shooter, but being able to shoot off movement and off screens and kind of getting more versatility in his shot. Um, I, I think he's a ways away right now. Um, he's he's like the Hornets could do with a knockdown shooter. I'm fine with them taking a swing on him in a two way, but he's somebody he's just really not really stood out to me in the college tape, uh, in the preseason minutes, in the in the, in the Greensboro minutes. I just I just don't ever see this guy really being an NBA player. Um, I just think he's miss he's not good enough shooter and he's not good enough in those like secondary areas of like defending and playmaking. Um, to kind of to be an NBA player. So um, I think I'm saying I'm out on Nate Darling, Chase. All right. I mean, I completely understand that, honestly. Like, because the, si the size point you bring up, like, that, that's a, a, very, a very good point that, you know, he can't defend wings. He can only defend guards and point guards. And he's probably not fast enough to defend point guards. But he at least has the, the shot versus – like, the profile is good – it was, he shot really well in college for three seasons. 
And I think that if at least he gets some more consistency in, you know, reps that it will come back up. If it doesn't, then I will perfectly admit or I'll admit that I was wrong and I'm perfectly fine with that. And but I do think that he could eventually end up in the NBA as like a like a Troy Daniels type player, even though Troy is probably a little bit more athletic. But I think Nate has some potential to add playmaking ability. He had a, a tiny bit of it at Delaware, but, you know, that's never going to be a part a main part of his game. But. I think uh, we we at least we can differ on on Grant or on uh, Nate Darling, but I think we'll we might be in the same boat on Vernon Carey. I d- I know he's done really well in the first you're in the two of the three games that they've played him, but where are you at on him so far? So Carey's been really interesting. I, I he's by far the most interesting guy on this team for me. I think the. The big question in, in college, Carey overpowered everyone. He was just bigger than people, stronger than people. You you got him the ball like with one foot in the paint and it was just going in like he had good footwork, good feel. Like he understands angles so well around the rim, you know, using the backboard and the finishes. And that's completely translated. He's playing against bigger guys, stronger guys, older guys. And he is making them look still like a walk-on college freshman because he just bullies people in there. Um, so I think that's great because your big worry is, well, when you move from being in the college level, if you just rely on like overpowering people, you're not going to be able to do that in the NBA. But that seems to really have translated, at least in the, in the G League, where he's still able to like carve out space uh, in any way. So that's that's great. Um, you know, he's, he's rebounded the ball well, but actually like... I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but I think 50% or maybe more of his rebounds have been offensive rebounds. Yes, like, he rebounds his own misses all the time. He's like the, he, the young Ennis Cantor in that in that he, regard. He does. He just pumps up his own rebounding stats. And, you know, he just absorbs the ball around the rim. Like, he just reads it coming off so well. And he, he like, even when he's going up to get it, he's already thinking, right, when I get the ball, I need to go straight back up or I need to spin this way to get in a little bit of space. Um He's not great in the defensive glass. And this Greens for Swarm team, the first few games, has given up quite a lot of offensive rebounds um, and a lot of threes, like another team I know, strangely enough. <laughs> um, you know, he he's shown some flashes with his jump shot. Like, he's, he's obviously trying to stretch it out, hit a three in one game, hit a really nice, like, between-the-leg step back. Like, that's the most exciting shot of, like, any of his, of, of his moves in the G League bubble so far, where he, he literally kind of pulled back between his legs, stuck back, and he probably had like a half a foot on the line. I think he thought he was shooting a three, but that went down nicely and that looked a really smooth shot. And if if he can add that to his arsenal, then he's that kind of dual threat of he can bully you inside, but he can also stretch the floor. Um, it, the defensive end has been a struggle. I mean, and when I say a struggle, I mean a struggle with a capital S. Like he is just, he can't play the gap on defense. Like, no. you know, he sometimes he's trying to stay back and he gives the guy too much space. They just go up for a floater or like a layup. Sometimes he tries to play up or he comes over to be the help defender and he like overhelps and the guard is just like doing a little drop off pass to the big who's now just waiting with no one near him. His just feel on the defensive end um, is not there. And this again, the Greensboro team have not been good defensively. Um, he's shown some hops like yesterday in the game you you won't have seen it he actually got called for goaltending where someone kind of drove through the lane he came over as the help defender and he blocked it and it was a borderline goaltending call but like he got up like serious hops I would not have thought a a groundbound college Duke version of Carey could block that shot so I think you are seeing some of the benefit of him shredding all that weight from Duke but um for general, the defense has been worrying. And I think I tweeted out the other day, like he really does look like another Ennis Cantor to me. Like, I feel like he's going to be able to score and rebound at the NBA level almost at will. Um, but how translatable that role is generally, I'm not sure. He's shown some passing instincts. He had a really nice whip out to the corner, like one-handed pass uh, to, I think, Nate Darling for one of his corner threes. Uh, in the second game so he's shown some flashes but look you can't be anything but happy just with the raw numbers the kids putting up like in G League play for his first bit of action Um, so overall like I would give him a a solid B plus because the offense has probably translated way better than I I thought it would and the outside shot looks okay 
But the big question was always the defense, and that is that is still right there with me. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I've been very pleasantly surprised with, with what Vernon has been able to do so far. The shooting is particularly what excites me because it, like, I agree with you that an Ennis Cantor type role is probably like his future because with how, you know, immobile he is on defense, I don't see him ever being good enough to, to be like a playable center for more than, you know, 16, 18, 20 minutes a game and like in situational style of play. But if he can stretch the floor a little bit, like he doesn't even have to shoot threes. Like if he can just catch the ball in the dunker spot and, you know, put up a floater or, you know, up fake and, go to the rim like that, that will help him a lot as rather than just being a guy that cleans up misses and catches the ball off of a pick and roll and lays it in. The one thing I have been like pretty concerned about though, like he has made some nice individual passes, but he, for a guy that is going to play with his back to the basket, he is like not really even in the stratosphere of how good you want that guy to be at, playmaking from with his back to the basket he has six turnovers to one assist in three games and I understand he's not out there like like the coaches aren't putting him in a position to facilitate from the elbow so he can get assists or anything like that but if he was processing the game at the level that you want uh, a guy to that you know is a offensive center he would probably have a better assist to turnover ratio than 0.17 so that that's that's not I don't I don't I would like to see a little bit of, of growth out of that, I guess, because it's not like his offensive value goes down the tubes if he's turning the ball over, you know, twice a game and is only giving you an assist every other game. But I, it's, I think overall, he's still he's still been a, a, a pleasant surprise. I, I would agree that like a B B plus would be would be my grade for him. Defense is, is really bad. But to be honest, I have like. I, I'm not ever going to have faith that that's going to be at an NBA level. So like, really, I'm not, I'm not even like looking for it at this point, just because he he's so like uh, that his physical profile does not strike me as someone that's ever going to be like a, a defend, a good defender outside of the restricted area. So it's mostly the offense big, for me. The big hope is he becomes a Brooke Lopez, you know, Brooke mm-hmm. Lopez was clowned on his defense early in his career he was a, a post-up center um, who couldn't really stretch the floor. And he is just, now he is the exception, not the rule here. Like not everyone can just evolve the way they play basketball like Brooke Lopez can. Um, Brooke Lopez is now a drop defender. He's actually an exceptionally good rim protector just using his size um, and his length. Um, and despite being largely immobile, has, has been the center of a really good defense in Milwaukee now for the last three years. Not, not quite so good this year. Um, that's that's about as like as good as it's going to get defensively. I just don't see him being a the switching big. And like you said, he's got one assist in three games. He's also got one block and one steal. Um, and he, you know, he's logging thirty one minutes a night um, in a pretty chaotic G League. So, uh, yeah, I agree. Those worries are still there. Um, I think Ennis Kanter. He's just the most Ennis Kanter guy I've seen since Ennis Kanter himself. Uh, he just screams it off the page to me. Like Ennis Kanter just has that way to get the ball in the hole once you get it within like 10 feet. And I feel like Vernon is the same way. You just, you just know he's going to end up with the ball at times. And um, he's just got big hands. He just gobbles any loose ball up anywhere near him. Um, and look, if you got Ennis Kanter in the second round, like that's a good player. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. Ennis for being, uh, oh, he can't play defense and he can't shoot. I know, but... Look, right now, he's starting for the Trailblazers, and they're a decent team. They're playing pretty well right now. Um, and there is something to say for offensive rebounds, scoring the paint. Um, so I, I've been pleasantly surprised. Um, I, I liked Vernon in the draft. He's like 37, I think, on my board. So I wasn't like really down on him like some people were. Um, but look, he's only going to get better playing defense through experience. Like... <laughs> I didn't see any world where Kerry was just going to come into the NBA and suddenly be a plus defender. So I'm happy he's down in the bubble. I'm happy he's getting minutes. I'm happy they prioritized him getting these minutes over Richards. Um, and we'll just have to wait and see how he does the rest of the rest of the bubble. I wonder if they're doing like first team, second team or G League this year. And like, if they do, 
I wonder if Kerry's in the mix for any of those teams because those are all like counting stats of 25 points, 10 rebounds a game are pretty tasty for, for those teams. That's a good question. I would imagine they have to be because it's basically there's this is the G League season. So they got to be doing some sort of like like how the NBA did the the bubble MVP and all that type of thing. So I don't they probably they must be just wrapping it in to things like that. But the next I believe the next game that they play is against the G League Ignite. So the next time we come back on the show, we'll have some real some high profile draft prospects to to discuss as well as the improved Greensboro Swarm players. But I guess to, to – oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm very frustrated about this because – so I've not watched any night, Ignite games yet. Uh, oh, Ignite games stinks. are actually easier for me to watch, but like scheduling – basically, I can't watch anything recorded, frustratingly, with the G League, whereas like League Pass, I can catch up. Um, so my scheduling just hasn't worked for the Ignite. Um, but like I've already had Kaminga ahead of Green – on like my own personal big board that I just keep to myself for now for since with that, some of the footage came out from the scrimmages back in, when was that like November? I don't even know. And um, like after like two games, everyone's just like, yep, Kaminga over green now. And I'm like, God damn, like this is, I was like hoping that was going to be like something that set me out from the crowd a little bit. And now I just look like I need jerked with, with all these other guys. <laughs> but Hey, look like Kaminga's Kaminga's been really good. Like, yeah he uh, he has he looks the every he looks like he's gonna supplant her plant himself as like the firm third overall pick at least after by the end of this g league bubble maybe i also I, yeah maybe he, I, he, yeah i i i could see the arguments for that i've liked daisha uh, nicks quite a bit too i love the the big guards like that that just move everyone around in front of them no. But he's he's been he's been pretty. I, I yeah, I could see I can see the concerns like with his you know translating to the NBA. But I I, I at least enjoy watching him. But Chase, tell me one player who has the measurables and style of Dacian Knicks in the NBA currently. There there yeah there there yeah there are not many <laughs> there. I don't. I mean the measurables exist, but the the, the style that he plays, you know, does not. He needs to be able to shoot. Is really the the thing that it comes down to and he does not he seem like to be able to do Royce that. white like yeah right yeah, kind of yeah like um, like michael carter williams but like way bigger and less willing to to pass kind of <laughs> like, I, yeah yeah i i just i just the, i just don't see a world where a, a guy guards have to be so dynamic and so quick and i just i think he's just so behind everything like he's obviously got game and I'm not saying if he's in the league, he wouldn't put up stats because I think he would. But I just, I just can't find a a comp to what what he would be like in the league. Um, so I mean, I'd still put a second rounder on him. But I've seen some people talking about like being a first round pick, and I'm just nope, not for me. Yeah, I, I, I understand that. I mean, there, I I don't know where I would land on him yet. I don't think I've really watched like enough of him, I guess, in the G League and also in when he was in high school to really gauge that but i i he i think he's definitely a fun player to watch at, at least uh, there and there's there's at least a little bit of value in that but i guess to just to wrap it all up here really really quickly um I, there's been a lot of all-star discussion lately as the you know the second round of voting just came out gordon hayward still in ninth among front court players no other hornets featured in the the top 10 of either uh, position bracket in the east but hayward it's I don't it's I I don't know how to you know view him through the lens of whether or not he's going to make the all-star team because obviously he's not going to make he's not gonna be a starter so it just relies on the coaches picking him and it's okay Chase you can say it no no he definitely might not be like uh, there's a very good chance that he doesn't make the all-star team I I was I've resigned myself to that fact a long time ago but like I just don't know who the coaches are going to view as like more deserve, like more deserving. You know what I mean? Cause the guys in that range, like him, I would say it's like of the guaranteed all-stars you have like Kyrie, KD, Harden, Giannis, and then Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Bam Adebayo, and probably Jimmy Butler. So that's only like a handful of spots left for like probably a, like a dozen and, and Joel Embiid. I forgot Joel. He the MVP of this season. Yeah, I, I forgot him. So that's even less spots left for like a dozen guys that could probably make the team. So the lack it, of respect for Steph Curry and MVP is uh, is disturbing to me. Chase. I, I I know I know I I that that's a I don't even know who I would actually pick in the in that 
discussion, but like the, the, there are just so many players in the East that quote unquote deserve to be all-stars this year. But like so many of them aren't going to be like, you could make an argument for Tobias Harris. You can make an argument for Malcolm Brogdon. You, you can, you know, Sabonis is probably going to make the team. So that's another spot that gets taken away. You know, Vucevic is putting up career numbers, but the magic stink, like the Brad, you know, there are so many guys that are like, have different levels of merit for different reasons. Like you, the Hor- Hayward basically has his reasoning for making the team would just be, going back to his Utah numbers for the most part, and also raising the ceiling of the Hornets considerably as, as a playoff team. But, you know, Chris Middleton's the second best player on the second best team in the East, like Tobias Harris, the third best player on the third best, best team in the East. Like there's just so many arguments for other people that like, I, I, it's, it's just, I have no idea what the coaches are thinking. So I I'm prepared for him to not make it, but like he definitely could. So it's, it's tough. He's not going to make it, and here's why, (laughs) right? And here's why. It is all about recency bias, all-star voting. Like, when when the coaches get it, they don't spend time looking through the stats from the season, the advanced metrics. They think, right now, when I get this ballot through, who do I want to coach for? Sorry, who do I want to vote for? And unfortunately, Gordon Hayward's numbers have dropped across the board once we got into February. So he was down from, I think, 24 and a half points per game in Jan. He's down to 20 points. He was, he's actually increased his rebounding in February by like one and a half, but his assists have also dropped from six a game to three. And that's kind of coincided with the emergence of Lamelo. So I don't think he's handled the ball as much, um, but that has hurt his all-star candidacy, even if it's actually been a good thing for the team as a whole. So I think like you need to be for these last few spots, you just need to be trending in the right direction at this stage. Pardon me. Uh, Sorry. Um, You've got to be uh, trending in the right direction at this stage. And Hayward just isn't at all. Um, Not that he's played badly, but when you compare him to some of these other guys, averaging like 26 points per game with almost double the assists. I just think coaches will have a hard time finding him there. And then, I think the other thing is the narrative side. Like if you were to say in February, who's been the Hornets best player, you might not even say Gordon Hayward. You might say, yeah, it would probably be, yeah, it'd probably be Terry or LaMelo, honestly. You might say LaMelo. So straight away, I think like the first guy on the scouting sheet for the teams at the moment is right. What do we need to do to stop the Charlotte Hornets from winning? Obviously Hayward's going to be on there. I don't think he's even going to be the first one right now. I think more teams worry about trying to like stop Terry getting off. Um, trying to limit LaMelo. Um, like he's still going to be obviously be up there, but it's not like a complete uh, n- guarantee that he is like the top of the scouting sheet. When you look at a guy like Trey Young, okay, I don't think Trey's had a particularly good season. The Hawks haven't been particularly good. He is still the first name on every team's scouting sheet going into playing the Hawks. And he is the hub of that team. And I just think guys like that fit that all-star candidacy better for coaches. And it is narrative-based. So I think between the narrative, between the recency bias, I, I just don't see him making it. I, I really hope I'm wrong because it's going to be super close. But I think, like you said, you've got, you know, you know whose fault this all is, by the way? It's James Harden's, right? Yes. Because yeah, yeah. He really James blew, blew this. Before James Harden got traded to the East... That created another spot. And then I think he maybe he might have just squeezed in in that last spot. But as soon as Harden's come, that's taken a spot away. Um, and like, again, I think guys will reward how people looked in the playoffs last year. So I think Butler might get a little bit of a boost because of, you know, how good he was in, in the playoffs, in the conference finals and the NBA finals last year. Um, you might get some guys who get the boost from having like, they're the best team. So they need to have two guys. Like you get that classic rule, which everyone just seems to adhere to, even though it doesn't really make much sense. Um, so I think he's going to miss out for a combination of all those reasons. Um, and I, I don't think we can like be outraged about it. I think we just have to be like, look, like Jeremy Grant, Tobias Harris, Zach Levine, Malcolm Brogdon, Ben Simmons, Julius Randle, like they've all had years which are there or thereabouts of Gordon Haywards. And the way the NBA game is played now, it's so much more about offense. Uh, Teams are so much more efficient. 
usage players for like a particular player have gone up so much, uh, much higher than they ever used to be. Um, and it's just creating more guys who've got a, an all-star campaign that you can defend and trying to trim the noise out of like, okay, what is stats? And then what is actually, he's one of the 12 best players in the league um, and he's helping his team win. That can be a huge challenge, especially with only like 38% of the season done when they're going to have to submit their votes and such a, a limited number of times sometimes with your full roster. So I don't think he's making it. Um, it's a real shame. Because uh, if you'd asked me like after that game winner against, was it Orlando or Indiana? Yeah, yeah Orlando. Yeah. Like he, he, you know, straight, that was like not long after the 44 point game, new career high. Everyone's going, Gordon Hayward looks amazing. And he's just dropped back down to earth a little bit. And like you said on the watch pod, um, when Hayward went on, he actually said, I think against the Minnesota, one of the games, he talked about being really tired. And he said, I was really tired that night. Um, and he didn't have his best game that night. And I, I do wonder if we're just beginning to see a little bit of Gordon Hayward feeling the season. You saw him miss the game with the with the sore lower back. I mean, let's just pray to God that's like a, a you know, he he slept on a something on his bed and that like whatever messed his back up for a night because like painful backs aren't generally something that just disappear. Um, but let's just pray that is because if that's like going to be a thing that nags him throughout the season, that is so hard. And even when you are playing, you're not always a hundred percent. So. Yeah. I was going to say, that's not something you can like play through and still play up to your full ability. Either. Your back is like, it just controls every tiny movement that your body makes. So yeah, I mean, if, if that actually is a lingering thing, then that, that would stink. And that would certainly take him out of the, uh, the all-star race. But I mean, if recency bias is a thing, maybe we're just talking about the wrong guy. We might, we might just have to start a Terry Rozier all-star campaign after he's put up 108 points over the last three games. I think so, that's what the Hornets media team are doing right now. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I, I saw them tweet about it after the game, actually. You're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, Terry's been, he's just been, unbelievable last few games um shooting the ball and and finishing around the rim in the half court much better than he was last year and i think yes that's that's kind of the thing that's really you know he's obviously in a hot shooting streak i, I imagine there'll be some regression there uh but he's just amazing how he feels so much bigger than he is <laughs> like even on these defensive rebounds like i love watching i think eric Collins has said it, like terry is like the funnest rebounder because he always goes up with like one hand and he always like slaps it down and like smashes the ball and when he gets the ball and goes he normally does a pretty good job of getting to the rim as well with like these little hezzies he had a beautiful one on a drew eubanks last night against san antonio yep. where he got him to pump fake Whew, that was a nice move but uh yeah if terry had been doing this since the start of the year he might have been in the conversation as well uh but hey it's a, it's a lot of good players in the east and in the nba right now yeah, there. Yeah, there are a lot of good basketball players in the NBA. I don't. I you know. I, I hope we're not. We're not offending anybody with that. With that take there, but we we definitely. I, I'm. I agree with you on that one. But uh, I mean, I think that that about wraps it up for for today. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest before we head out of here? No, I just. Um, I just hope the team are able to to get healthy soon and get back to their kind of semi regular rotations because. We were just we we're hoping to be able to see what was going to happen with Lamelo in the starting lineup, and so far we just kind of one thing comes up after another, and we're we're not able to really see what this team will look like all together. So, uh, hoping they can get back healthy by the end of this week, um, or if not, if not as soon as possible. Awesome. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to this stretch of uh, West. They're already kind of in it right now, but this stretch of games against Western Conference opponents that. We don't get to watch unless we stay up till the middle of the night is, has been nice. But yeah, I mean, the, I've been Chase. This is James at the Hive Live episode two. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next week.